happening, guys? Happy Friday! And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Well, the moment we've been waiting for is almost here. The heavyweight championship just a few hours away from getting settled. Coming up on today's show, I'll give you my official prediction for Surreal versus Engano and Moreno versus Figueredo Part 3. Plus, I'll talk about Dustin Poirier and maybe Nate Diaz. But before we get into all that, I want to begin with something that caught my attention this week. Dana was on Barstool Sports, and Dave Portnoy said to him, Hey, Dana, I see that Colby and Usman are going to fight, and Colby is a sizable favorite. Does that surprise you? Dana answered the question, which said no. Talk about Colby. said he's looked phenomenal lately, and if it wasn't for Kamar Usman, Colby would be our champion. Okay, great. Hold that thought. Because how is Colby a sizable favorite? I'll tell you how. Those two used to be workout partners, and Colby used to get the best of him. There's even videos that have surfaced of them in their house that they lived in the apartment moving the coffee table out of the way and getting in a wrestling match right there, and Colby got the best of him. They did these workouts for the whole world to see in front of teammates who have not lied or denied the fact that Colby used to get the best of them. That's how we got here. Now put that in a ball and kick that damn thing right out the window because it has nothing to do with anything. And I'll tell you why. They were different weight classes. It's extremely relevant. There's two things that would mislead and misguide anybody who witnessed those workouts, and that includes Colby and Masvidal. Even their recollection will be off for a true depiction of skill for two reasons. Very important that you know this, because if you it, it, this is the huge fight to look forward to, and if you go look at the odds for it, you think there's nothing to see here. Like hell there isn't. They both ran through the 70-pounders, except for the same guy. So you, you can't tell me MMA math, unless you're really one of those pricks. That, that, well, okay, they both lost to the same guy, but boy, this was more competitive. Stop. Stop. They both kicked everyone's ass, except for the same guys. Let that one go. But when those guys used to train together, they were different weights. That changes everything. Masvidal was a very good and a very dangerous 155-pounder. He was a tough night out for anybody. At 170, he became the BMF champion and had two different opportunities to fight to be the undisputed champion. He's found his weight class. They have not touched each other since Masvidal has found his weight class. Very relevant and part two. When you are working out with somebody, you trust that person. You trust them with your body. You will not leave a workout where you're getting punched and elbowed and anything bad that could possibly happen to you from a fighting standpoint. You will not leave there with so much as a scratch on your face. You could do it for an hour, come back tomorrow, do it an hour again. You will not have uh, swollen circles. You will not have a hurt nose. You won't have an inflated ear. You'll have nothing. Why? Because the strikes are controlled. The wrestling is at 100%. You're looking to get to things as fast as you can. You're looking to explode. You're looking to change positions. That isn't going to hurt anybody because there's a mat underneath you. No matter how high you pick them up and slam them down, they're going to come down in one piece. That is not true with the strikes. Masvidal has a very striking, heavy game. So when Masvidal was playing his game while being a 55-pounder, he's playing it at 70 to 75%. 
on an angry day when something got away from him, he might have gone as high as 80%. He's pulling back at a minimum of 20%. Colby, who's a Division I college wrestler, is doing what he can do at 100%. That's the rules. You never need to discuss this. You never need to discuss this with your partner, whether you know him or not, whether you've worked out with him before or not. It could be your first day at the gym or his first day at the gym. Everybody knows 80% is the maximum we do with the strikes. 100% is what's expected for the wrestling. So we can get our heart rates up. So we can get in position. We can see opportunities. We're not going to take them. We're going to see them. We're going to practice the mechanics. We're going to move around. We're practicing with each other. And I only offer that for you because I don't know just that the betters are so wrong on this one. I think that Masvidal and Colby themselves are wrong on this one. They both know what happened. They both know how that workout went. They're both men. They're both competitors. They're going to go put it in front of the world. Doesn't mean that the result is going to change. They're just mad enough to walk out there anyway. Likely, I'm very close to the mindset of both of them. They're wrong. They don't know what they're getting into. They have never traded punches at 100%. That I know for sure. But they've also never worked out together since Masvidal's at his rightful weight class. Masvidal was very good at 55. It was the wrong weight class. That weight cut and whatever went into that, that wasn't his number. His number is 170. This is a fresh fight. This is a fresh contest. Masvidal has shown since the breakup between him, him and Colby an ability to deal with wrestlers. Ben Askren comes to mind. So this is a whole new fight. That's all I'm submitting for you. There's a totally different contest with a lot riding on it. Masvidal is the second biggest draw in combat. He's coming off of two losses. They happen to be to the pound-for-pound pound best fighter in the world right now. So he's still a main event guy. He's still that big of a draw. If he goes out there and gets stomped by Cole, it changes things. So when you're having fights, you want to have a significance on it. The significance here is not just grudge match. The significance here is not just two former roommates cornered each other, best friends. They're now going to compete. There's more on the line. Masvidal's got it. Masvidal's putting it up. Masvidal is not flinching or backing away. Masvidal deserves a ton of credit for this. But if Masvidal thinks, or if Covington thinks... I know this guy because we've already done this. We just did it in practice. They're wrong. And that's starting to spill over into you, the audience. Be very careful before you bet this fight. If what you're betting on is rumors of how the workouts went several years ago when they were both different weight classes, So I just finished talking about Colby and Masvidal, two of the biggest names at 170 pounds. Other big names in the news right now are Dustin Poirier and Nate Diaz. And whenever those guys are concerned, I got to talk about it. Dustin Poirier came out. It was kind of like going back in time because leading into Dustin's fight with Charles Oliveira, Dustin just sets down. He just, just puts down this nugget out of nowhere. And he says, if I beat Oliveira, I'm never returning to 55. It was real small. It was just that sentence. And nobody really gave him a follow-up question. So we did that over here, guys. Do you remember this? I told you guys, hey, I'm trying to reach Dustin. Anybody got his number? He's not getting back to me. 
Dustin saw the piece, got a hold of me and said, Chael, I just can't give you an answer. I don't know what I'm going to do. And that's fine. We don't want to pressure Dustin, particularly right on the eve or the heels of that contest. All right. But now he's revisited it. Yesterday, Dustin came out. He was talking with somebody and he said, I can still make 155, but I'm considering going to 170 and doing some fun fights. That was not verbatim, but it's what he said. He did let us know, look, I, I can still make 55, but there's other things I could do. I can enjoy my life a little more. Now I'm adding to it. I can enjoy my life a little bit more. I can focus on matches that are fun. I want to ask you guys, is he right? Because no fighter gets to decide that. No fighter gets to go into that island of Conor McGregor, of George Masvidal, or of the Diaz brothers. You guys put them there. Where some guys, you just want to see them fight. Chemayev right now, just by example, is not on that island, but he's approaching it. I don't think you guys fully care who Chemayev's next opponent is. Am I right about that? You want to see Chemayev fight? Hey, I'll give you one clue. It's going to be in the top 10. Boom, I'm in. I'll mark it on my calendar. Tell me nothing else. Don't ever tell me, in fact. Just walk somebody out there that's going to be in the top 10 versus Chemayev. You understand that? But he became a media darling. He became a sensation with you guys. And I'm asking, are you ready to put Dustin in that same category? And if so, with who? It would seem as though Dustin's in a pretty sweet spot to me. I think that Dustin makes a very fair point. That he is still a world beater, but does he want to go back to that same mountain or to keep his own motivation up and appease you guys by seeing his wonderful performances? We have him do something else. Something that isn't a title fight or a title eliminator. We do what he said. Fun. There's a lot of fire to the smoke of Dustin versus Nate Diaz. Those two have agreed to fight. Those two do want to fight. Dana's even weighed in on that and said, that's not done. Now, that's not done is a damn sight away from, we're not interested in it. That's not done as saying, yeah, hey, there's something here. We don't have dates worked out or bout agreements signed, but yeah, there's something here. That's a great spot for Dustin. And then, of course, Dustin versus Connor. That's a great spot for Dustin. Can he go out and get both of those matches? Hard to do. Very hard to get the fights that you want. Very hard to do. Can he go out and get two fights that he wants, and if he does get one or two of the fights, does that then put him on this island? Does that qualify Dustin to be over here where he is such a draw and you just enjoy seeing Dustin Poirier so much that the opponent is less important than it would be for other guys? That's all I'm asking. And I think that Dustin is, at a, at a minimum, in the boat, rolling over, rowing his way over to that island. I don't know if he's there yet. He might be. I'm asking you. I'm not passing an opinion or judgment here because it's your guys' decision. You put a guy there. I know you would like to see Dustin versus Nate. I know you would like to see Dustin versus Connor, but I don't know that that satisfies my question here about Poirier because two of those guys are already on the island. We've already, metaphorically, said that two of those opponents are there, so anybody that they fought would then be an interesting match. I'm wondering if that can be the other way around. Anybody we put Connor in there with, going to be a good match that you want to see. Anybody that either the Diaz boys go in there with, and anybody that Masvidal goes in there with. But those are the only three guys. 
is anybody that Poirier's in there with going to matter to you, going to excite you, going to be just fine for you? Buy my tickets now. I'm going out. I'm coming to the way, and I'm going to the press conference. I want to see it all. I don't know. I don't know. He sure is something special. His skills sure are something special. And if you were to take a look at the parody that could potentially happen if Dustin Poirier was at 170 pounds, I think you've got a lot of fun. But we still have to ask ourselves, is having fun enough or does he have to go on a title run? Because everybody in the organization, aside from the Diaz, Connor, and Maslow, have to go on a title run. So if you are saying, yes, Dustin's that big of a deal, yes, I enjoy him that much, start telling me a couple of opponents. It looks as though Diaz versus Poirier is not an idea that's dead yet. And then you run into a question. Do you want to see Nate versus Connor, part three, or do you want to see Connor versus Poirier, part four? There's no wrong answer here, by the way. But I do look forward to hearing and learning from you guys which order and which matchups, if you had the power, would you bring us? So this upcoming weekend, we'll be putting the spotlight on the heavyweights. And coming up in a moment, I'll talk about John Jones and his place in the division. But before that, a word about today's sponsor. This episode is brought to you by 8sleep. Guys, good sleep is the ultimate game changer. More than 30% of Americans struggle with sleep. I was one of them. And temperature is one of the main causes of poor sleep. Guys, I run hot. It's a thing with me. Rarely do I get cold, even in the winter weather. At night, it's a problem. My wife loves sleeping with lots of blankets, but I get so hot. 8sleep has helped us resolve our temperature issues, and now I'm falling asleep in record time, faster than I ever had before, all thanks to my 8Sleep Pod Pro Cover. Let me share a little bit about the science and technology of this product. It is the most advanced solution on the market for thermoregulation. It pairs dynamic cooling and heating with biometric tracking. You can add the cover to any mattress and start sleeping as cool as 55 degrees Fahrenheit or as hot as 110 degrees Fahrenheit. The temperature of the cover will adjust each side of the bed based on your sleep stages, biometrics, and bedroom temperature, reacting intelligently to create the optimal sleeping environment. The result, eight sleep users fall asleep up to 32% faster, reduce sleep interruptions by 40% and get overall more restful sleep. The Pod Pro Cover by 8sleep is so popular. It has garnered attention from CEOs, high performers, and top CrossFit athletes, including the 2021 fittest man on earth, Justin Meridos. They're all sleeping better with 8sleep to make the most of their workouts and recovery because good sleep is the ultimate game changer. Go to 8sleep.com slash you're welcome to check out the Pod Pro cover and save $150 at checkout. That's 8sleep.com slash you're welcome to save $150 at checkout. John Jones, guys, what's he going to do? Let's speculate a little bit. I never knew there was a need for speculation. My understanding coming in 
to this world heavyweight title fight, John takes on the winner. I wondered if John was going to be in attendance. I wondered if John was going to be in the front row, but that's a treat to the audience. Anytime you get those face-offs or anytime you've got the guy that's next on, look, I just think that's a treat. Just from a viewer standpoint, you start to look, how's the guy look? What's his face look like? Is he confident or is he scared? Does he stand up and boo or does he cheer? But I like those things. I get a small little tickle out of that. Aside from that, I really haven't wondered anything. I thought it was John Jones going into the winner. I thought that that was clear. Now there's comments coming out of, I don't know what John Jones wants to do next. Followed by, is he going to go to heavyweight and take on the winner of this, which has been offered, or is he going to return to light heavyweight? Now, no other thoughts were said, so let's just take that as a literal factual statement. That would mean that John Jones coming back is going to happen, but that John Jones coming back at 205 pounds is still on the table. That would surprise me. That really would surprise me. I think a lot of things would have to happen, including Glover Teixeira getting beat and a new fresh-blooded champion being in there that John's never seen before. I'm guessing. I have absolutely no evidence to that. I just think that John is a little tired of 205 pounds. If you can bring in a whole bunch of fresh bodies, maybe he would look at it. But even that is a stretch for me only because of the dedication and commitment and clarity that John Jones showed to us all that he is not going back to 205. He's going to heavyweight. And when John first said it, he put some parameters on himself. He put the 240 pounds. That was the magical number that John just randomly threw out there, but he believed it and he meant it. So if John would have done everything right and bulked up and he got to 236, maybe he doesn't go heavyweight. And he wouldn't look like a coward or a fool. He would look like a guy who had an idea, went to pursue something, and just he couldn't get big enough. There'd be no problem, but John is now 245 pounds, and he would risk looking scared of the heavyweights. He would. If John was to say it today, it would be very different than if John says it on Monday. Because today, it's just a thought and idea. Come Monday, there's your specific opponent. And one of these guys, Surreal and Francis, is going to look very, very good Saturday. Both of those guys are respected. Surreal has never lost, for goodness sakes. Francis is terrifying. I don't have any better word to use. So whoever gets the nod, whoever goes over is going to go really over. And if John says, you know what, on second thought, I think I, I'm still a 205 pounder. You see the problem that that's going to do? And John is very sensitive to those kinds of comments. I think we all are sensitive to what other people think. We like to pretend we don't care what other people think, but I think we can all relate to that too, a little bit. So there's no part of me that thinks that John is going to go down. I do think that John's going to go up to heavyweight. Just because he's being offered a world title shot right out of the gate, I don't see any reason why John can't pump the brakes. I just don't know that anything would be easier. I mean, it seems to me a night in there with Francis is a tough night out. Can we agree? A night in there with Surreal Gone is going to be a tough night out. A night in there with Stipe Miocic is going to be a tough night out. And there can easily be a round robin, by the way, at heavyweight. Stipe loses to Francis. Surreal beats Francis. Stipe beats Surreal. I think that we could all close our eyes and envision something like that pretty easy. So my only point being, if John is going to fight again, which he is, if John is going to fight at heavyweight, which I believe he is, I do think that John's going to take the greatest opportunity, which in this case appears to be a world title fight. But do you guys think that? Is there something else going on here? Is there something that I'm missing? 
the timeline of John Jones has jumped around quite a bit. And everything was on the table, including I'm never going to do this again. Everything was on the table. I think that door is long closed. I was a little bit surprised that this dialogue even came up. The last time we heard from John Jones speaking specifically about this fight was the night he got inducted into the Hall of Fame and he did an interview and he said, I will be taking on the winner of that fight. John then went into training. If I could have bet a month ago, if John Jones was going to be the surprise backup fighter for Surreal and Francis, I might have put some money on that. It wouldn't have been a lot. But you might have got me for snacks or for lunch or something along these lines just because it would drive and motivate John Jones. Not to mention John is not afraid of the spotlight and it would have put him in the spotlight. I don't know who the backup fighter is going to be. For some reason, that secret has been kept. I will predict for you it's Derek Lewis. But I will all but guarantee you there is one. There is a backup fighter. Somebody in the heavyweight division who's licensed and just had a training camp will get on the scale Friday morning between 9 and 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Who's it going to be? And why is that not a bigger topic? Because what if it is John Jones? What if? What if John halfway agrees with what Connor said of I'm not a backup fighter, don't advertise me that way, don't call me that way, and what if he walks through the curtain and gets on that scale? It would be an epic moment. The problem is John can't keep a secret, so if you're going to do a secret with a guy, it couldn't be John. Which is like, I'm defaulting back to Derek Lewis. Derek's solid. He tells you he won't say anything, lock his mouth and throw away the key. But as far as this dialogue going of wondering if John is going to come back, and even more specifically, whether he's going to come back against the winner of Surreal versus Francis, where did this come from? John has done a pretty good job, in fairness to John, of letting us in on this journey. He used to do a better job where he would, he'd be lifting weights and putting that on on Instagram, doing some workouts, working with some real experts in strength building, and he would put that on Instagram. He's laid a little bit quiet on that. But aside from that, I don't think that John's ever corrected the statement, the statement that he made, but my next fight will be against the winner of Surreal versus Francis. A number of weeks ago, John alluded that he locked himself in his office and was just studying tapes on Surreal and Francis. So has something changed that I missed? Surreal gone has weighed in on this and said, I expect John Jones to be next. So I think that we're all hearing the same thing, let out of, yet out of left field, we get this new narrative of, is John going to come back and potentially do it at 205 pounds? I'm just asking you guys a simple question. Is there something regarding John and his return that I didn't hear? All right, guys, UFC 270 is going down tomorrow night in Houston, Texas, and it should be a great night of fights. And per tradition, I want to give you my official predictions for the two title fights, beginning with the co-main event. My official prediction for Brandon Moreno versus Davison Figueredo. Figueredo. I got to tell you, this is a really tough one, though. Brandon Moreno was only given a second opportunity because his fight with Figueredo the first time was surprisingly competitive. It was not an overly close fight, and it really wasn't all that hard to judge. There was a point taken away, and if that point didn't happen, it's Figueredo, and you're not going to hear from Moreno again. I mean, that really is what happened that night, but the fight was absolutely fantastic. 
I give those guys all the credit. If it sounds like I'm taking credit away, I'm not. I'm just telling the story that Figueredo was the big dog. Moreno is a body. Bring him out here. Move on down the line, right? And this was just supposed to be a normal night of business. It turned out Moreno looked so good. And it wasn't just his skills. It was his heart. That's what came through the camera. And that's what the camera has the hardest time of depicting and picking up. When you can actually see the grit of an athlete, and that can be in any sport. I've seen this in track and field a number of times where somebody has got to show guts. They've got to dig deep and they want to do it. And that is what Moreno did. And Dana White went to the press conference that night. I'm talking about the night that Figueredo and Moreno first met up at the Apex. Dana went to the press conference that night and said, we are doing that fight again as soon as they're both ready. Now, you could count on one hand how many times in Dana's 22-year career that he's ever done that. On one hand, you could count how many times Dana went into a press conference and announced that this fight is going to rehappen. I'll just give you an example. But Colby versus Kamara, which was clearly the fight to make, they did make it and sold out Madison Square Garden. I mean, clearly the fight to make. Their first fight was the hardest, closest, dirtiest fight I've ever seen, but Dana couldn't go to the press conference and announce it. He's got to go talk to the guys. Just, hey, how you doing? How you doing? Talk to the doctors. Decompress to the commission. It's a very rare thing. It's the only point I'm trying to prove that Dana would go and do that. I'm offering you a great example where he didn't do it. It's very, very rare. He went to the press conference that night and said, those two are fighting again. So huge respect to Moreno. But that is the number one thing you came out of that fight with was a respect for Moreno. Not an ooh, not an ah, not skills you've never seen before. But wow, that was gutsy. And if the only thing we can give you in this business is an opportunity, by God, we're giving you another opportunity. All right. Figueredo weighs in. Figueredo says, guys, it was close. It was hard. I wasn't expecting that the same as you weren't, but I didn't feel good. I was sick. I was vomiting. I couldn't leave bed. I had a fever. And this gets backed up by the team. Now, I never love that re-engineering of how you felt before a fight, because I couldn't possibly care less. Nobody feels good going into a fight, or at least nobody feels great. Everybody's got ice on something. Everybody's wrapping something. It could be a knee, it could be a toe, it could be a finger. Nobody feels great. And I never love it when a guy tells a story after the fact. But Moreno, uh, I apologize, Figueroa was just being candid with us. Maybe he didn't owe us that information, but I really didn't take it as an excuse as much as a reason, and that's a very fine line. So this is my own interpretation, but I wasn't upset when Figueredo said it. I did believe him. He did have witnesses. That was the scuttlebuck in the back. I happened to be there that night. So when they're going to rematch, I not only thought that Figueredo would win, I thought he would win every single round. I really did. I thought he was clearly the better and more powerful fighter who found himself in a contest that was harder than he thought it was going to be. Things unravel when that happens. They unraveled for him, which only allowed for a close match. Not a threatening match. And you may remember Moreno Figueroa wrong the first time. That was a hard match. That was not a close match. Contrary to how you remember it. It was very clear who got the best of who. And it favored Fig. Now, couldn't have been more wrong. Right? I mean, right, newsflash. Chael predicted a fight wrong. I even predicted how it went wrong, though. I didn't think that Figueroa would lose a round. Excuse me, Figueroa did not win a round. He couldn't win positions that weren't even a threat in the first fight. 
He's all of a sudden getting taken down and grounded pounded. Something that didn't even happen in the first fight is now the problem all night long. And Moreno becomes champion of the world, first Mexican-born champion of the world, which was just so awesome for the people that were in tears that didn't even know him, that he was out there represented. It was just one of these awesome and special moments in all of sport. My whole life I've been involved in sport to some level. That was awesome. Okay. We got to go part three. Why? When you take a one-sided ass whipping, it doesn't really set you up for a third fight. Now, if you want to do a true trilogy, it's because you had two fights and you did not get the same outcome. So there is, historically speaking, reason to do it. I will submit for you because that Figueredo that showed up was not Davidson Figueredo that we were used to. That's also a very real thing in sport. You ever hear the expression, I know that you have, I got caught. He got caught. They caught him. That's a real thing. You come out, you're going through some exchanges, you let something go, everybody's fresh, nobody's quite warmed up yet, you hit him and he goes down. That is a very real thing. I think if you were to look at Waylee Rose Part 1, that would be an example where you could say, she got caught. And I have I have to give that example, because there was nothing about Rose Waylee that in the history of combat has warranted a rematch. Nothing. This was one-sided, it was fast, it was decisive. Why did they rematch him? Well, for what I'm talking about, from a psychological standpoint, you know this athlete, she didn't bring her skills tonight, I gotta see it again. Not take it away from Rose, but I need to see it one more time. That was the thought and storyline that went in that fight, and nobody had to roll out a PR tour to sell it. Because we all saw it, and we all get that, that people can get caught. Generally speaking, if you're going to hang your hat on the argument of I got caught, you do know a few things to happen. Things that happen with Rose and Whaley, such as super short night, such as one shot, caught him, knocked him out. Brandon Moreno ran over Davidson Figueroa in every single position. He outworked him. He out had cage control. He was more aggressive. He had positions. He had submissions. There was absolutely no box that wasn't checked with an exclamation point favoring Moreno. So how do we get here? And why, oh why, would Chael think that Davidson is going to win the fight? And it's one of those things where, whether I can articulate it or not, I can see it when it happens. And even if Figueredo didn't feel well the first fight, and he felt much better the second fight, for Moreno to flip the script, well, Moreno gained something called confidence. A lot of guys will go out there and they'll have a good fight. But they will then rest on their laurels and they will never return to that performance. Even if they win, they do not perform as well as the night that they had their breakthrough moment. And other guys will use it as a springboard to go, yes, I knew it. I knew I had the right coaches. I knew I was working hard. I knew I was focused. I knew I just needed a little bit more time. I knew it. I'm as good as I thought it was. A springboard effect. And that is what Moreno did. But Moreno also hadn't set a record. He didn't even win the fight. He didn't leave as the champion. He didn't have one of sports, from an emotional standpoint, greatest moments that I have ever been privileged to witness. He has all those things now. Is he still on the springboard or is he on the decline? Look, guys, anything in life that goes up must come down. I don't have the answer for that question, by the way. I have no evidence that Moreno is anything other than locked in and planning his run. I just have seen other young athletes in a similar spot. 
and the opportunities that you have and the people that start pulling at you when you're the champion as opposed to a contender. They're just as big as scumbags as the guys that did it before you were there. They just wear nicer suits. Did that happen to Moreno? I have no evidence that it did. I'm asking the question because there is a reason we will see such a distinct change in performance. Two guys doing the same thing at the same weight class against each other. You do it twice and you have vastly different fights. Figueredo versus Moreno was not competitive, part two. Figueredo versus Moreno was not as competitive as you think it might have been, part one, but it favored opposite guys. What in the hell is going on in number three? So I have to look for an intangible. I have to look at motivation. And I can't do any more in identifying motivation than you guys can. I'm internalizing. If I was in Figueredo's spot, if I had something and it got taken away, if I could juxtapose the preparation before one contest versus the preparation of the second contest, would I be able to successfully identify what the differences were to hope that I could get a different outcome in part three? Well, yeah, you bet your ass I could. If I was the champion I'm no longer the champion and it's against the same guys in the same way, I'm going to want to get that belt back. And Figueredo did offer us something coming out of that second fight, which was he opened his own gym. He said that. I opened my own gym. And I was dealing with employees, and I was dealing with landlords, and I was dealing with production facility. I was dealing with equipment. I'm teaching classes instead of just coming in and getting my workouts. It's a big difference. And I do tie that in because it's exactly what we're seeing right now with Amanda Nunes, who has announced she's leaving the ATT. I don't know what to make of that. But Figueredo just did that same thing and says it cost him a world championship. So if he was able to buckle down and really focus and change his preparation in conjunction with the weight cut, hardest thing for Figueredo has always been beating the scale the day before. He's going to have a hard time this time. But if he put himself in a better position through a better level of discipline, which just means calories in versus calories out, if he's done that, his weight's more under control. So when he comes to the actual cut, losing weight and weight cutting are not the same thing. Losing weight is calorie deprivation. Cutting weight is pulling out water. So that is greatly what affects your ability to recover. And if Moreno is more in check with the weight prior to the cut, which means he has to pull out less, his recovery time will be different. He knows fully what he's getting into. He knows what the corrections need to be. Does that give him enough of a leg up? I mean, these are big ifs here, guys. I don't know when you don't know, but i got to put the curse on somebody. And if you want to know who I'm thinking is going to win this fight, it's going to be long and it's going to be drawn out, but he's going to win more rounds than the other guy. I'm taking a new Davidson Figueredo. My official prediction, Surreal Gone versus Francis Ngannou. Guys, what a tough one, Francis Ngannou. How do you like that? Francis Ngannou is going to win this fight, and I'll tell you why. Two kickboxers, right? Got to know what you're getting into here, because this one is pretty basic and by the numbers. Like, there are some things that you can stereotype. When you have a big guy, he's a power hitter, he needs less punches. But when he's taking on a smaller guy, that guy moves very well, and he's harder to touch. We understand that because that's logic, and we get it. The power between these two men is not equal. And so many people will talk about that going into the fight. He can hit harder than him. That doesn't really have anything to do with it. Who can land the punch? And that's why you're always better with a smaller guy. In boxing, aside from Tyson Fury, the heavyweight champion of the world, has always been a much smaller guy. He does not hit as hard, but he doesn't get hit 
as often. His condition and endurance is just a little bit better. Now, I know I'm saying things that are favoring surreal, but hear me out because kickboxing has one huge problem. Kickboxing does not favor, encourage, or work on head movement. You are not dealing with the same thing when you hear you got a kickboxer versus a boxer. A boxer will move the hell out of the way so he doesn't get hit. A kickboxer will stand right in practice. In boxing, you're learning to slip. You're living to cover. You're living to, learning to return. In kickboxing, you take both gloves and you hold them in front of your face like a fool. And the guy will tee off on you and you'll have what's called a shield. And with those great big gloves, the guy's not going to penetrate it. You literally can stand there just like this with your hands up as a shield. Big old pillows on him. you got 32 ounces altogether blocking for you. I say that because the reason that kickboxers don't translate all that great into MMA, broad stroke right there, they do just fine, but the reason they don't translate, and you'll even see a world champion kickboxer come in and lose a striking battle with an MMA, is because of the head movement. It's because of the four-ounce gloves. Now, I'm digging deep here, but I am counting on <clears throat> Surreal Gone not getting out of the way. Going to what he knows best, doing a cage, Francis getting right through that, and crushing him. I do think that Surreal is likely to look good for a period of time. Surreal does a very good job of closing the distance, but he also does it with moving. He's going to have kicks and he's going to have combinations. He's going to stay out of the way. He's going to try to wear down Francis Ngannou, which is a great strategy. The more minutes you can keep any big guy moving and huffing and puffing is always very good to do. Francis is going to plot in there. When you're the biggest guy in the room, you don't have to back up from anything. You can go stand your ground. But now, now your game plan is very obvious. I'm waiting to see some kind of an opening. I'm coming with a knockout shot. So Real will know fully what he's getting into, but so will Francis. There was a time in kickboxing, guys. I love kickboxing, by the way. I have studied kickboxing for a meaningful period of time. But in fairness to the history of the sport of kickboxing, there was a time boxers stepped in with no kickboxing training, and they started beating all the kickboxers. Started taking all their belts, all their prize, prizes, and all their money. The reason the boxers could do that is because your hands are much more important than your feet in a striking battle. So the sport of kickboxing, these boxers would go in, they throw absolutely no kicks. But the hands were more important. Now the other guy is trying to kick you, which means he's standing on one foot, stepping and put him down. Tim Sylvia, Rico Rodriguez, possibly the finest example of that. The guy throwing, the, there's times you throw kicks, and it's always at the end of a combination. You hide, you block, then you come in with the kick. But it's always at the end, you don't start a combination with a kick. Why? Because now you're standing on one foot. You have nowhere you can go. And I only submit that for you because what kickboxing had to do, and this was in the late 80s, but they had to come in and make a new rule that you must throw three significant kicks per round or you lose a point. So we proved that kicking is so much less effective than punching that the sport had to come in and make a rule that you must do it because guys were electing not to. And I do bring that to you because that's going to create some real opportunities for Francis. I do not think Francis is going to look like the better striker. I think he's going to look like a big, powerful guy. I think Surreal's going to move around him on a little bit. But when I do see Surreal doing that, and I do see Surreal's hands coming down and his chin coming up, he has never paid for it yet. But the guys that can strike as well as him on paper, you've got Rosenstrike, by example. You've got Derek Lewis, by example. 
The guys that aren't able to get to Surreal and make him pay are the great big guys that are too goddamn slow. I think Rosenstrike's strike game is ever bit as good as Surreal's. I think Rosenstrike's as good as anybody in the entire organization, but he needs the right opponent. He needs the right setups because he's a very big man. And the same thing goes for Derek Lewis. Derek will put your lights out, and that includes Surreal's. Black Beast will put Surreal down and leave Houston a hero if he was a little bit quicker. So I think that it's one of those things that Surreal's defense is not perfect, but he's able to get away with it because of some of his athletic abilities. And guys, I'm critiquing hard right now. I have thought Surreal was going to win this fight. I'm now on Francis. In all fairness, these are not huge detriments, but... Everybody's got a puncher's chance. That old expression said by a lazy guy that just wants to hedge his bet because he didn't have the balls to step out there and say something is very true when you're taking on Francis Ngannou, who, scientifically speaking, hits harder than anybody in the sport. Guys, remember that was that show called Sports Science, but it was like that thing that they put at the county fair and you come up and punch it, but it'll measure how hard you're hitting and nobody outdid Francis. It's one of those things where you have to respect that. And even if Francis throws some heat at him, Francis's only problem is going to be if Francis is gun shy, like he was against Derek Lewis. If Francis goes out and does not hit Surreal Gone, but he throws that heat, he can get respect anyway. It's not the same level of respect as you touch somebody. But when you get one that slips right past you and you know what was on that, psychologically, he can get those same benefits. One thing that I think Francis is going to do, I don't think Francis is going to take Surreal down. I think he's going to threaten to take him down. And that's another thing that Surreal has never had to deal with. People love to say Surreal's never been taken down. That's true. He's never fought a wrestler. I get that Francis is not. But every fight that Surreal went into, he knew the unwritten contract and agreement with every single opponent, including JDS. Right? Don't forget how good Junior is with the hands. He knew going in, I just got to go out and kickbox, and I'm a much more decorated kickboxer. Make it a kickboxing fight. Take MMA the hell out of it. And he never had a partner that wanted to flip the script. Francis has been working on his wrestling. I don't think Francis can take him down, and I don't know for sure that he's going to try. He needs to. He needs to throw punches at him, even ones that miss. He needs to get that respect and do what we call keep him honest. But he also needs to lock him. He needs to push him. He needs to go for those legs just once or twice. Make Surreal know this isn't the same guy you sparred with in a slow light session sparring class in 2019. I am somebody else now. If Francis does those things, his opportunities go up. One thing that Surreal has going for him is Francis is terrifying. I don't think I can use that word about very many men. And even if I could use it, I got too much pride, I wouldn't use it. Francis goes into the scary column. Can we agree on that? And one thing that makes a guy so scary is when he's mysterious. When you start to hear these rumors, he eats nothing but raw meat all day long. I had to grow up with this. This big strong guy I had to deal with from another school. And the rumors, all he eats is raw meat three times a day. Steve Mako was a great wrestler, and there were stories going around that he, didn't, he never walked in his house. His house was only bars. He swung. That's why he was so strong. But the whole country believed this. 
And if you can keep Francis mysterious, you can keep the mystique going, which shuts guys down. I do think the fact that they know each other, the fact that they've worked out, the fact that they have similar friends, at least even a similar coach, I think that that is very good for Surreal. I think that the mask is off. But so many athletes, when they want to go out there and look as though they're comfortable in a situation they're scared in, their body will then start showing comforts, right? If you ever see a guy yawn prior to a match, that's the guy trying to calm his body. That's a guy who is scared but doesn't want to be scared. Oh, he's trying to show everybody, oh, he's partly even paying attention. He's just as comfortable as if he was in bed at night. Never good if you see an athlete yawn right before a match, but it's very common to see. Very, very common to see where a guy is losing control of his nerves and his body's trying to catch up where his mind wants to be. And I've seen so many guys, when they're scared, go out there and do the fancy hands thing. Put their hands down, drop a hand, try to throw a cool kick. That will get you knocked out. That will make you live with a life of regret. And there's a couple of exceptions. Floyd Mayweather, Roy Jones, Anderson Silva. All got away with it until he didn't. If you ever break the golden rule, which is chin down and hands up, you are not going to be the heavyweight champion of the world. I cannot guarantee you that Surreal is going to break that rule. How would I know? But I am hedging my bet on the side that he will fall into the same trap of everybody else to some degree. And if he puts those hands down, he cannot take a punch by Francis. It does not matter if Surreal had 30 professional kickboxing fights. does not matter. That will never strengthen his chin, ever. Contrary to popular belief. The more you do something, the more technical, the better responses you'll have. Your neurosystem, you'll have a lot of things that increase how well you do with that, but you will never be able to take a better shot. Doesn't matter if you had zero days of training or 20 years of training. Your chin does not get better with experience. I'm submitting that for you because I don't know for sure that Francis can ever touch him. Surreal is very quick. And the later the fight goes, that power of Francis is going to go down. I fully acknowledge that. But if, and it's an if, Surreal shows him that chin and Francis hits it what? Make no mistake. Francis will knock him out. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you guys enjoy the first pay-per-view of 2022 tomorrow night. And I hope that y'all come back next week while I break it down. All that and more on Wednesday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.